Jen, it's Monday night, and I know there's something that made you do a spit take. What'd you disagree with this week? How dare Frank Gore retire? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. So after two ACL tears, 16 years in the league, 9,000 yards plus seasons, he's third all-time rushing yards, fourth all-time total from scrimmage. How dare the guy decide to retire? I'm super bummed. <laughs> he's supposed to be on our fantasy teams for the next, you know, century. Um, I'm bummed, but no, I, I'm happy for him. He had a fantastic career and, uh, yeah, I'm bummed from the fantasy perspective, but, uh, he had a great run for someone that, you know, like I said, started out with two ACL tears and wasn't really supposed to do much. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Frank Gore in his career, but you're right. I'm sad that we never got to see him play for the Patriots since he covered the rest of the AFC East. I thought the Patriots would be a natural next uh, evolution for him, but uh, congratulations to Frank Gore. Uh, a fantastic career for him. I think he's third all time in rushing yards or something like that. Just, just amazing. But uh, yeah, congrats to Frank Gore. Now let's get to the show. intro music that uh that was put together that's that's for the show now it gets my head nodding and i know yeah. we're always gonna come back and i'm just gonna be rocking out and that's how it's gonna go <laughs> but welcome everyone to the most accurate podcast i am one of your hosts brandon Niles. with me are my excellent co-hosts jen akins and chris allen chris how you doing buddy i'm doing great i know we're not doing a full-on stat of the week for today's show but just to piggyback on the frank gore conversation Man had 16, 16 seasons, only missed 15 games. I mean, just the, I don't know, the the poster boy for durability at the Amazing. running back position, even though every year we consider ourselves like scrambling for running backs after what, like week one. And I mean, Frank Gore has been there like carrying the load for us and like whichever team he's playing for, for like, you know, a decade and a half. So yeah, hats off to him. I hope he gets into the Hall of Fame, but I don't know if he has a claim to it. Me too. Me too. Yeah. If Art Monk's in there, Frank Gore deserves to be in there. That's fair. That's fair. But Jen, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I, I am. Other than being sad about Frank Gore. No, I'm good. Uh, it's April. So that's always fun. I'm excited for uh, the Masters this week, which has nothing to do with football, but it's always a great week. So yeah, I'm super pumped. Uh, Brandon, what do we got today? I think we're mixing it up, right? We are. We're going to uh, play a little Who'd You Rather. It's a light news week uh, on football outside of Devontae Parker moving teams, which we can probably talk about later if we want to. Uh, but outside of that, there's really not a whole lot of fantasy relevant news going on as we ramp up toward draft time. Thought a little Who'd You Rather would be really fun. I know that uh, you two have been playing around with underdog, the early best ball drafts. I have been as well. So uh, I went on and I looked at some of the early ADP, which we know will fluctuate greatly over the next couple months. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came up with some who'd you rathers for the two of you. Uh, Jen and Chris do not know what players I'm going to bring up. And so uh, I'm going to catch them off guard completely, completely unprepared for this. Listeners, it's the best way to catch Jen and Chris. Uh, <laughs> if, folks, if you want to get in on some of the best ball action, uh, we have a promo Right now, you deposit $10 in a new underdog account, get a deposit bonus match, and a 4 for 4 Pro subscription. Uh, just enter 4 for 4 that's 4-F-O-R-4, four four in the promo code box, and check out that link that's on the screen. Uh, you can go and get started in those best ball formats. You'll probably see one of us in the lobby waiting to draft. So, are you ready for your first Who'd You Rather? No. 
No? <laughs> so the way we're going to do, I'm going to do a couple of Hooja Rathers, and then I'm going to ask you a question about kind of a category that symbolizes the Hooja Rathers. So, all right. Uh, it seems like Jonathan Taylor is going number one overall, but after Jonathan Taylor, there's a big mixture of players that are going. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to start with you, Jen. Are you taking Christian McCaffrey or Derek Henry, assuming Jonathan Taylor is off the board? Those two are your options. Who'd you rather? Am I in the two spot here? I I don't want a different player. So whatever position, those are going to be your options. That's okay. The position uh, yeah. In. I don't have a choice. It's those two. Okay. Yes. Um, can I ask for, oh, we're doing underdog. So we're doing half PPR, correct? Yes, this is this is half PPR, best ball underdog. Nah, um, I guess I'd rather McCaffrey. <laughs> Sounds I'd very excited. McC- you know, no, listen, I want, it's hard. Like, it's just, it's hard with him. And I feel like Henry is a guy that every year we want to not draft him there because he doesn't catch blah, blah, blah. The same narrative over and over. And then he crushes it and ends up, you know, within the top, whatever last year, even by getting hurt. So, but I still think I'm going to go McCaffrey. I, that's final answer. McCaffrey. Final answer. McCaffrey. Yes. Is it the 0.5 PPR? Is that the difference? I think it is. And I feel like after a couple rough years, I feel like this is going to be a good, this, this will be back an upswing for him. I feel like this is the, this is a year. Makes Not sense. the like year, it. but a year. Okay. I like it. I like it. Chris, <laughs> who'd you rather? Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, CMC, the, the target share. He had a 18.6% target share just last year, and that was with the injuries, with Sam Darnold being Sam Darnold. Uh, <laughs> so regardless of what their quarterback situation looks like, I would only assume it can get better, assuming that they're, I mean, they're going to be drafting or at least helping to improve their offensive line. Whatever happens at quarterback, I'm sure they'll figure it out, but it can't get, I'm assuming it can't get worse. God, I hope it can't get worse, but either way. Yeah. It's, it's the targets for me. So I'll take CMC. Excellent. Excellent. So we have consensus to start out with this. Uh, another couple of early running backs. These are more uh, guys. You're going to be looking out of the first, second turn uh, Dalvin cook or Javante Williams, Javante Williams right now being drafted at the turn. And uh, Dalvin cook has slid into that same category. So we've got an established vet and everybody's favorites, emerging darling Javante Williams. Chris, let's start with you. Javante cook or Javante Williams. Uh, I will take, I'll take Dalvin cook in this, in this scenario, already seen the production there. And with Javante, there's a, there's a lot of projection going on and not saying it can't work out, but there still have been discussions about Nathaniel Hackett wanting to bring Melvin Gordon back and Either way, like Hackett, whether it's Gordon or some other back, he has been used to using a two-back system in his time in Green Bay. So it's just, I can't really project Javante Williams at this point to having the just the full workload to himself once the 2022 season starts. Where with Dalvin Cook, we know his role. like We know what his timeshare, even if it is, if you want to consider a timeshare with Alexander Madison, Alexander Madison looks like there in Minnesota. So with Kirk Cousins, we already know what that system looks like. We know what Dalvin Cook's role is within the offense. I would prefer Cook here. And Jen, do you agree or would you go with your uh, your current hometown guy, Javante Williams? You know, if you were to tell me that Melvin Gordon was not going to be there, I would go with Williams. I think, unfortunately, it doesn't make for a great show to agree, but I do agree with Chris. I would go uh, Dalvin Cook in a vacuum because I just feel like I feel like it's the right call. Like he said, we know the system. We're not really sure. We have Russell Wilson. Now we have a new head coach. We have a whole new system. And so um, I like Javante, but we're talking, you know, we're talking mid to late first round. Probably I'm going to go with something that's more proven. And I'd probably go with Dalvin. 
Okay, you know, I would say that it's good that you agree because what that does is it tells everybody the, that there's no debate. This is the guy you want to take in that position. It's it's Dalvin Cook. Right. It's but Chris it's and I Christian don't agree Cameron. a lot, so this is very strange that we're starting off two for two. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's... just in life in general, not just players. I'm just meaning you know, in, li- in life. In life, we don't agree a lot. Uh, different, different favorite Power Rangers. Different favorite. You want just, like, you want just yeah. like share your screen, just show them our DM threads or something like that. No, Jen, is no, that, no that one, what you want to do? <laughs> no one needs to see mom and dad fighting, <laughs> as Justin always says. Yeah, I, th- I think it's in the Washington football team. Uh, you know, uh, investigation. I think your DMs are in there, so it's going to get released. Yeah, it, yeah, it's going to get got released. subpoenaed. <laughs> One more pair of running backs. This time I'm going with a couple guys coming off injuries. We saw Cam Akers come back late in the season. Uh, We didn't see J.K. Dobbins all year, but those two both going around the fourth round right now, right right at the beginning of that running back dead zone. Uh, Both have possible timeshare situations, should be pretty good offenses. Uh, Jen, Cam Akers or J.K. Dobbins? I'm going Cam Akers just based on offense in general. I don't know. The, The Ravens scare me a little bit. I feel like they, I don't know. I mean, granted, we can't really tell. Last year was a cluster. Everybody got hurt, so it was kind of tough, and it was kind of no one really emerged, and there was a bunch of different murk, as we say on this podcast murk. quite a bit. A lot of murk in that Baltimore backfield. Um, So I don't know if J.K. Dobbins is going to go in there and be the guy immediately. He should. Um, I think that Cam is a safer bet there uh, in that kind of so-called dead zone. So I go Cam. Chris? This is where we disagree. Look at that. We, right. finally, we, we got Yay. one. All right. So my my <laughs> concern with Cam Akers is just what we saw throughout the playoffs last last season or at the end of last year, or I guess the beginning of this year, rather. Uh, but that's health related. Right. And we can assume that over the offseason that he should be getting healthier and maybe he can resume his role. But in the over the playoffs, those those four games where we saw Cam Akers back resuming the workload. Uh, he was worse in terms of efficiency. So EPA per touch than each of the other running backs behind him, whether it's Michelle, whether it's Daryl Henderson in each of the games, except for the Super Bowl. I think they were like all inefficient as we saw the Rams passing game really be the, I guess the, the engine for that entire offense and how they score points. Uh, but also even when Cam Akers was able to tote the rock inside the red zone, which is a critical portion for running back, sco- uh, running back scoring, still inefficient. Those two fumbles against Tampa. And then after that, we saw the, and even before that, we were seeing the Rams actually ramp up their passing rate in the red zone in each of the four games throughout the entire playoffs. So while Cam Akers might be that guy that's out there on the field, I do have some concerns about him being the one to actually touch the ball once they get within the red zone. Whereas with, uh, with J.K. Dobbins, I would assume that he would be the guy to do that. Both him and Gus Edwards coming off of injury. Lamar Jackson, how many games was he inactive last season? Three, four last season as well. I don't want to, again, assume that, especially going into a contract year for Lamar, that he's going to continue doing what he's doing as well, even though that might be an overprojection too. But still, I my assumption is that Dobbins would be the one to be the lead ball carrier for the uh, for the Ravens overall but then also once they get into the red zone he is the one to get the rock uh at least the first touch maybe gus edwards is the one to take over afterwards but i just have i'm more confidence with dobbins excellent so we have dissension i love it i love it so uh i i uh side with acres 
Uh, but I like them both. They're both really good, both coming off injuries. I just think that Lamar will continue to score and that Cam Akers was more likely to get the touchdowns that Matt Stafford won't be getting. But that's just me personally. I think both are uh, excellent options. Uh, this goes into kind of overall strategy questions about the hero hero running back strategy. Because to me, those guys, uh, your J.K. Dobbins, your Cam Akers, that fourth round, that's the last spot that I have where I would consider that a hero running back strategy. So, uh, Jen, where's the last spot you would have a hero running back? And can you kind of explain a little bit about what that strategy is in best ball? Uh, yeah. So hero running back to me is someone where you take, you basically take a stud running back off the top and then you wait a while. So for me, the guys that you mentioned are too far down to be my RB one. Okay. Like I would, for me, it would be someone like a Mixon or Swift. I would grab one of those and then just hammer wide receiver, tight end, whatever for a while, and then pick up running back again after that dead zone. So that would be for me. Um, I I'm too scared to wait all the way down to the Dobbins acres section to grab my first one. Um, that is at least my definition of hero B as we all know in this industry, the, the terminology changes every minute and oh, people yes. have, people have different definitions of what, but for yeah. me, that that's, that's where I see that. Yeah, me, me too. Basically, uh, prioritizing getting a stud back and then moving forward from there. Um, I found Chris, my hero running back rosters, uh, did better than my other, uh, roster formations last year. Uh, what do you think of that as a strategy in general, Chris? I don't mind any strategy, to be quite honest, whether it's the zero RB, hero RB, modified zero RB. Yes, I said that, John Paulson. Uh, there's, I think there's, it's, uh, there are benefits to each of them. And just depending on how you implement them, that's really the thing. Because a lot of people, once they see a strategy, they also zoom in on the players being selected for that strategy. And we focus on those players and not necessarily the tenets of the strategy itself. And that's where I think a lot of that stuff gets lost in translation. Uh, but from a here RB standpoint, I think Aaron Jones-ish, like that range is about where I'd cut it off, like the RB 11, 12. I think that's where Aaron Jones is kind of being taken. Uh, just because you want that overall touch share like actual carry share which i think aaron jones has the prerequisite somewhere around 50 percent, but also the targets and also being used in the red zone so all of that stuff i think comes into play when trying to select that guy and like i do agree with jen there once you get into that uh like third fourth ish round it's a little bit harder for you to think about on a weekly basis if those guys are going to be getting those carries over the course of the season sure if we're just to pull up pro football reference a lot of those guys you'll probably look back and say oh yeah he did have you know these 10 carries here and five carries there or whatever but if we're trying to play this on a week-to-week -week basis you do want to try and find those guys that will have at least they that workhorse type of archetype and i think rb12 rb13 i think is about a fair cutoff before uh, like if you want to implement a hero rb strategy Sure. No, that makes sense to me. Um, more running back talk. I know that in redraft formats, uh, handcuffing is its own uh, strategy and its own conversation. In best ball, it takes on a whole different strategy. Uh, Jen, do you handcuff your running backs in best ball? And does uh, your overall team construction strategy impact whether or not you like to handcuff? I don't usually handcuff guys on the same team. No, I I've gotten away from that in recent years. Um, I'll steal other people's handcuffs all day. I mean, I'll take, you know, backups from other teams for sure. And that does yeah. go into my, into my best ball strategy. Um, hoping that, you know, either someone isn't, isn't performing or sadly gets hurt. And then, you know, someone will move up and, uh, 
you know, a guy you took in the, you know, 13th, 14th round ends up being a starting running back. Uh, in redraft, uh, I definitely, I don't really handcuff there either. I find that it just doesn't, there, there's guys on the waiver wire that you can grab, especially if it's just, a, you know, a regular, you know, non-super flex type league where you just need to grab, you know, you, there's always players available. So I think handcuffing is something that, uh, I, you know, I think I used to do back in the day and I've kind of gotten away from it uh, as I've moved forward in my, in my fantasy life. Sure. I, I echo stealing handcuffs. I, I, in my best ball rosters so far, I already have zero David Montgomery and a lot of Khalil Herbert. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chris, do you echo those thoughts on handcuffing? I know we talked about this a lot last summer, but yeah. I thought kind of a new season kind of, it wouldn't hurt to touch on this again. Well, I think there's there's some I, I, this is more narrative based, right? Because if I'm trying to think through the possibilities for a running back in the later round to wind up accruing any sort of value and outkicking their ADP, because that's what we want for our running backs. So there could be some value in there. It just depends on the type of situation that you're investing in. And that's where the term handcuff becomes a bit harder for me to buy into it. Like, I think uh, there's a term, uh, this is from uh, Todd Burroughs at Todd from PA. I think now he's at Best Ball NFL. Uh, but he had coined the term, I think, stack cuffing, where it's just you, you are taking two running backs from the same backfield. And we would generally think about that as handcuffing. But it's about are you capturing enough of the weekly workload out of that backfield in order for them both to maintain, maintain value? And an example that I thought of was, let's say last year going into the 2021 season, you drafted both Leonard Fournette and Giovanni Bernard, where it's like, OK, I can I can tell myself a story where Leonard Fournette, he's the primary ball carrier. He's on he's on the Bucks, Tampa, you know, Tampa Bay, Tom Brady. You can see him getting most of the red zone carries, bunch of touchdowns. He can he can maintain or at least outkick his value. But Geo being brought in for what we assumed at the time to be the James White role for Tom Brady gets a bunch of receptions. And even if Leonard Fournette gets hurt, we've seen him carry the ball a number of times when Joe Mixon was down when he was still with the Bengals. So he could also outkick his ADP. So like one of those, like that's the type of situation where I could see on a weekly basis, either one of those guys or even possibly both of them scoring a touchdown. Now, is that the same for all of them? Like you're not drafting Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison on the same team because we know Alexander Madison is more of a traditional handcuff. So that's where you do need to differentiate those situations. You're not taking Saquon Barkley and whomever his backup is going to be. So I think identifying the right situations and the right backfields, it becomes critical when you want to even attempt to doing that. But overall, I do agree with both of you in saying that I might not uh, handcuff my own guys, but I will definitely look for the Khalil Herberts of the world, or even like Ronald Jones, the Ronald Jones of the world. That if you squint, you can see a path in them having a number of carries on a weekly basis. I think that's really tight what squint we for me. It's, it's a, a tight, tight squint. squint, yeah. And I probably have to put on some <laughs> goggles and all that. But I, you see what I'm saying, though? It's like, t can you tell yourself a story of them being able to beat their ADP, and whether it be through injury or even just the player that's ahead of them performing bad? Which, if it's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, that's entirely possible. <laughs> that's the type of situation you're looking for. Yeah, no, no, makes perfect sense. I agree. Well, I think I'm sorry to totally interrupt, but it just hit yeah. me while you're talking, Chris. I absolutely agree. I think that there's probably less than a handful of of backfields that you can do that with. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a great call because there are backfields where you can see both of them actually contributing on a weekly basis, or someone at least you know falling in for a touchdown. Uh, yeah. you know, for a couple weeks. 
of the season. And have Maybe Mixon and Samaje P. Ryan. Yeah. That's probably like about the limit of where you might have to make that question. But there might be some other examples that are probably better for this. And it's getting a little more prominent. Like you're getting more teams where uh, where two backs fit in a best ball strategy um, yeah. a little bit. I kind of like that stat cuffing. That makes sense a lot. Uh, but I'm with both of you. I, I agree with you completely. Uh, let's do another uh, another set of who'd you rather's. All right. We're going to go receivers this time. Uh, these are ranked uh, second and third on most most lists right now. Uh, they're going in the first round on underdog right now. Uh, you've got two young, extremely talented players in Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. So we're going to start with Jen, Jamar Chase, or Justin Jefferson. Who'd you rather? That's a toughie. Well, um, considering my mm. counterpart here, there's zero <laughs> chance that he takes one. Just for that sake, I'm going to go Jefferson. Okay. Um, I think that I um probably, well, I mean, really, I, I, I well, would these probably... are both elite options. Not none they of us are, are crapping. They on are elite one. options. <laughs> if you, if you go mm -hmm. down to, you know, brass tacks and you look at just straight up, like if you just look at quarterback, you kind of have to go chase, but I feel like Jefferson at this point, like, I don't know what else is going on there in Minnesota and I don't know where those targets are going to go. So I feel like Jefferson might have a monster year target wise. And, uh, but I think you can't go wrong with either one, but I am going to go Jefferson just cause I know Chris is going to go chase. There's, you know, he's, he's Homer through and through. <laughs> so <laughs> he doesn't even pretend to not be Homer. So no, but I, I like them both. Uh, I think there is a case to be made for Jefferson though. I think he's obviously, we know he's super talented. Kirk is not ideal in the fantasy realm, but I think in, especially in, in any kind of PPR format, I think, format i feel like jefferson is going to have a pretty big year target wise sure sure and and chris uh the argument for chase no i think i think she's right that, <laughs> I, I i will say for on the homer side yes i would most likely uh select chase if it was me on the on the clock and i had to choose between the two uh my homerism would force me to pick chase but if you if I had to think about this objectively, Justin Jefferson does have the most upside because let's think about where the Vikings are at right now. I mean, their defense has gotten worse over the offseason. And now they're they're completely retooling that offensive line is okay enough for Kirk Cousins to be able to get the ball downfield. Adam Thielen got extended, uh, but still, like Jen was asking, like where are the rest of those targets supposed to go? And if we're assuming that even if they pass at a similar rate to what they had with Mike Zimmer and not even more with uh, with their current uh, offensive coaching staff, which that's my projection for this year with the new coaching staff coming in, we can see more targets. That's where Justin Jefferson can overtake Chase, because for the Bengals, it's at least the assumption going in is going to be more of the status quo. I mean, I can see Chase maintaining his target share and maintaining the targets and the types of targets that he got last year, but there's not a path for him to have more. Whereas with Jefferson, there is that path for him to get more. So I, like I, I say chase, but I understand and will uh, and analytically and am inclined to say Jefferson. Yeah. I, it makes sense to me. I would, I would go Jefferson. I feel like chase, both are going to be elite. Both, both have great seasons. This isn't anything bad, but I feel like chase's production is going to be, more variable week to week a little bit like i think he's going to explode in weeks and then have some drier weeks whereas i think good Jefferson's for best be a little, that's absolutely yeah, fine yeah and that's what ball. happened this year yeah. too really with yeah. him 
And I think Chase is currently being priced at his ceiling, like at like 98% of That's his ceiling, true. where I think with Jefferson, he's probably being priced at, let's say, 90, 90% of his ceiling. Because if there are more targets coming this way, like he could really have like one of those like wide overall wide receiver one type seasons. True. True. Um, okay, let's go to uh, kind of some older players, uh, more established veterans instead of the young and exciting. Uh, these are second and third round turn uh, players to go after. DeAndre Hopkins coming off an injury plague season, but uh, still super talented in a pass happy offense with the Cardinals. Or Keenan Allen, uh, somebody in another pass happy offense with a good quarterback with the Chargers. Uh, both those players producing still at their age neither one are old both are still uh probably nearing their the end of their prime uh jen what do you think deandre hopkins or keenan allen at the two three turn that's a tough one because i'm always a sucker for keenan allen I, I i can't stop drafting him every year but i think hopkins it's tough because there's there's a recency bias there with hopkins where he really just I mean, he killed a lot of people last season, um, including myself. Um, and so that's a tough one. I, I'd probably go, uh, I'd probably go Allen. I just feel like, uh, even though Mike Williams is back and even, I just feel like I like Herbert better in that offense. And I like, um, the fact that he's going to throw more and Kyler's probably going to run more. So I, yeah, I'm going Allen. Yeah. Chris. Uh, I lean towards uh, Hopkins in this uh, on this one. Uh, the target share is somewhat concerning, although I think both have had declining target shares like over the past, at least for Hopkins, it was last season. But Allen, from both an efficiency standpoint, he's been on the decline for the past few seasons. If I remember correctly, his yards per route run has dropped consecutively over the past three seasons. And then also from a target competition standpoint, it's to me, it's almost a no brainer at that point with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams got extended. They got Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton. They brought in Gerald Everett still have Donald Parham. I mean, and Austin Eckler, of course, like leading the way like with most of their targets. So even once they get into the red zone, it's not like they're going to be forcing it, forcing the ball to Keenan Allen. Whereas with Hopkins, he has been like their leading target, uh, like a pass catcher once they get into the red zone. So from a fantasy standpoint, assuming he's healthy, it's Hopkins for me. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I, I, uh, I side with Allen cause I think Herbert's trending up and Kyler Murray's favorite movie is, is, uh, Gatsby. So, uh, <laughs> th those are my, those are my downsides there. Uh, but both, both are good options. I've always been a big Deandre Hopkins fan ever since I said, I heard him say he wanted a little dog and I love being a diva receiver. It always makes me happy. Yeah. Cocky corners and diva receivers are my bread and butter. Uh, let's go into the sixth round uh, receivers upside guys. Marquise Hollywood Brown uh, for the Ravens, Darnell Mooney for the Bears. Those two both going in the sixth round. Both seem very like uh, high upside, low floor. So, uh, Jen, let's start with you again. Marquise Hollywood Brown or Darnell Mooney? Assuming Hollywood doesn't retire, which I know was a, a rumor that I, I don't put any uh, credit into. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking real life, I'm going to pass on both. I'm going to be straight up with you. I probably, really? yeah, I don't, wow. I, I just don't, I don't love, listen, I understand that Mooney. Okay. Well, first of all, I'll back up and I will pick one. I, uh, I guess Mooney, I'm, I'm going to go Mooney. And that's just only because I know the targets are there. They have literally no one else right now to catch the ball. So <laughs> I will go Mooney. I don't love Justin Fields. I don't love the situation. Um, I'm going to hope that, 
you know, this new offense, they're going to kind of get it together and, and actually, you know, have good, good play design. Let, let's put it that way. Um, so I am going to go Mooney. I think that Marquise Brown, I just, that offense is rough. I mean, with Lamar, like you just don't know and you have Andrews and then you have him and then you have, you know, Lamar that's just going to run. So I guess if I have to pick, I'm going to go Mooney, but honestly in that section, I'm probably going to pass on both in the real world. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Chris Darnell Moody or Marquise Hollywood Brown in the sixth. No, it's Mooney for me. And I think Jen hit the nail on the head. I mean, what is Mooney's target competition? Actually, I literally had to look this up because I forgot who they were. It's Equinemius St. Brown and uh, Byron Pringle. So yeah, I'll go. Wait, with the guy wait a minute. Been... You're all about Byron Pringle. Normally you yelled at me last week about Byron Pringle. Well, sure. Because he's now cheap. He's na- oh, okay. Gotcha. Sorry. Go ahead. But that, but now it's like if I had to choose between Mooney, who's competing with those guys, versus Marquise Brown, who's competing with Mark Andrews and on a team that's most likely going to be run first, then sure, I will take Darnell Mooney. And then also, if you compare the two receivers just from a skill set standpoint, I, the Ravens have already tried to put Marquise Brown in their wide receiver one role. And I think they've slowly started to figure out that Marquise Brown is only good at a few things from a route running perspective. Like he's great on those like deeper routes and that's fine, but trying to force him into a wide receiver one role just hasn't worked. But with Darnell Mooney, they can push him into that sort of role. And I think they can kind of push him into that type of area where he is the guy running those types of routes. And because he was in during his rookie season, he was kind of pigeonholed into running more of the deeper routes. But last year with Allen Robinson, like being injured throughout most of the year, he was running more of those intermediate routes as well, intermediate crossers. So we saw more development from him as a route runner. So if I can at least hope or think about a him, a Mooney continuing to develop, develop as a receiver, whereas I mean, now with Marquise Brown, what did the Ravens immediately go out and do afterwards? They immediately went out and drafted you know, Rashad Bateman when they had the chance because Bateman was good in those areas of the field that Brown can't operate in. So, yeah, I would much rather take the guy that's going to be getting more targets but also has the greater skill set, and that's that's Mooney easily. No, I agree with you. Um, I think we lost Brandon, so it's just you and I at the moment. Right, um, and he's the one that knew all the guys that we wanted to want to compare against, too. So you and I can just, I guess, chat in general. I mean, in that range, right? Because, I see, look, I sat there and said I probably would pass on both of them. I mm-hmm. mean, I'd probably go with, I don't know. I mean, in that same range, we're looking at who? Like Cortland Sutton, maybe Devonta Smith, maybe Those Juju. Are fine. I mean, yeah. Or you just pivot know. and look at look at quarterbacks there. Yeah, I right. mean that would that would I mean if we were were pigeonholed into uh if we're pigeonholed into just the wide receiver discussion, I think those other wide receivers are fine because I think everybody's already on board with the idea that we should be targeting Cortland Sutton over Jerry Judy, or at least you know, trying to like fire at both of them, fine. But I think from an overall roster construction standpoint, by the sixth round, we're looking at where are we at, like QB four, QB five, if I'm right. if I'm remembering correctly, and also tight end six ish. Is it like that's about where we're like the TJ Hawkinsons of the world, like somewhere in there, yeah. like in the, yeah. So if, if that's the range, I would most I would more I would be more happy with leaving that area of the draft with let's say my quarterback one or possibly like my tight end one or two if I happen to, you know, get a deal on Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews earlier. Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm, I'm down with that. Oh, we got Brandon back. 
my internet just blew. Luckily, <laughs> I've got hotspot on my phone nice. so I can pop back in. I don't know what's going on, but yeah, no more internet in Casa de Niles. Um, <laughs> I, I'm assuming you all just said, uh, had a whole long conversation about how the Seattle Mariners and the Miami Dolphins are both ready for championships yep. and that the Blazers are going to win the finals next How'd year, you know? of course, after this tanking. I just assume. I just oh. assume that's, 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 that was going to be the conversation. Well, you didn't even need internet. <laughs> um, I mean, you already knew what we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> so uh zero running back strategy is where i was going with that like going hitting wide receivers early uh let me know if you went in deep in deep on that but i wanted to ask you jen um when you pick zero running back where you go heavy wide receiver early on is, is that draft position dependent or is that a decision you make going into it uh, it's draft position dependent for me it's usually you know if i'm in the back half of the draft and i don't you know the top couple running backs are gone i'm gonna usually go wide out uh this year's a weird year though because you're missing you're missing you know you've got tyreek and Devonte adams that are both on different teams both of those yeah. guys have always been kind of a no-brainer zero rb selection and i don't know if that's the case this year i don't know if you can think that okay Derek carr and tua you know, are going to give you the same output that we've gotten before, you know, from Rogers and Mahomes out of those two guys. And I don't know if, if it's the kind of situation where you're going to take one of those guys and sacrifice a running back for a while to go that route. I mean, I, I haven't really fully hammered out that strategy yet, but that's kind of my first thought is I don't know if zero RB, you know, is as alive as it has been in the past, just based on those two guys alone, obviously, if you're in a different position and you replace it with Cooper cup or Justin Jefferson or whatever, you know, and come back around and get digs or, or say Debo or whatever, I guess you could try it. But I feel like it's not as much of a, Oh, you know, hammer it. Like if I'm in the 10th or 11th spot and I'm going to hammer one of those guys and then the other on the way back, that's how it used to be. I don't know if I'm going to go there this year or not. Yeah. Um, I, I I'm with you uh, adding, I, I, you know, I always say Merck for running back, but Merck with the quarterback situation with, with Hill and Adams does change things for me. Although grabbing Jefferson and chase or, uh, something along those lines or Jefferson and cup. And then, like you said, coming back at digs is very appealing, uh, to me as well. Uh, Chris, um, when are you locked into that strategy? Like, is it with that first pick? Is it the moment that you take a wide receiver or can you go back, you know, can you go wide receiver running back and have a more balanced strategy? When do you lock yourself into zero running back? I would say after let's maybe my third wide receiver, because if you're going in and like Jen said, it can be draft position dependent. So if the, after the first two wide receivers, you can always flip back and say, well, I've found a good running back here in round three, or maybe even round four if you catch a steal. So I'd say around that third or fourth wide receiver, and you're not really seeing the value proposition of any of the other uh, any of the other core positions there. So like, if there's no other running backs that you are really dying to get, or even see the value in drafting at that point, and there are better wide receivers at a similar uh, at a similar opportunity cost, then sure, that's when I'd find myself locked. But after the first two or even the first, the first one, no, I could always pivot back. And then even after the first couple, yeah, I can always pivot back. Or maybe even if I want to try and swing for a quarterback really early, which I tend not to do, that's also an option. But I think for the most part, after that third wide receiver is where it's like, okay, I'll just continue filling this out and uh, you know, look for running back maybe around eight, nine, somewhere in there. Okay. That makes sense to me. I want to shift to tight end real quick. Uh, I feel like the pay up or bargain shop uh, situation with tight ends is is getting squishier 
than it used to be. But I want to start with the two guys being drafted at the top right now, which are uh, outside of Travis Kelsey, who is in, uh, as usual, on his own level and stratosphere. Uh, but right now, if you want Mark Andrews, if you want Kyle Pitts, those two are going second, third round. I think I probably know Jen's answer to this, but Jen, Kyle Pitts or Mark Andrews, if you're paying up and, and after Kelsey's off the board. That's tough. You know how I feel about Pitts, but I feel like it. I feel like this year, I mean, it's just, it's tough to see the targets going anywhere else there. Like, I feel like yeah. Pitts has to have a ridiculous season. Um, Andrew scares me a little bit. I feel like, like we've said a couple times already on this podcast, I just don't really trust the Baltimore offense. They're more run heavy and they are, uh, and they have Lamar who, you know, doesn't throw a ton anyway. So um, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, I would probably go pits. I don't know this year if I am going to pay up or just in best ball specifically, I might just wait and, and do the whole, you know, grab a bunch of those guys at the end that are going to probably end up, you know, pay, like, you know, like the Pat Fryer Muth and the guys from last year who just came out of nowhere and crushed it. You just got to kind of hope you get a couple of those guys. That's going to be, uh, I put a pin in that, Jen, because I'm going to go back to you on that and some of your targets in that uh, bargain shopping approach. Uh, Chris, are, are you, I'm going to let you answer that, but also just, are you paying up for tight end? If the, I guess, depends on what my previous picks are, because let's say if I start doing the zero RB strategy or implementing that, and I'm in like, let's say the fifth-ish round, maybe not because I would probably be looking at quarterback to maybe stack with one of my wide receivers at that point i might glance at running back tight end just becomes slightly less of a priority there at least in the like priority range like four tight ends uh but if i am doing a balanced approach or maybe just like three wide receivers and maybe two running backs or you know whatever the case may be yeah i'll, I'll look into any one of those guys I do lean towards Pitts just from a target competition standpoint, even if we do think that Marcus Mariota and we will not think we know Marcus Mariota is a much lesser quarterback uh, than, than Lamar Jackson. Uh, but that's just more from a cost perspective because you can wind up getting him so, like slightly later than Mark Andrews. So I think that from that standpoint, it just becomes easier for you to build a team that where you can get similar production at the same, you know, at the same tight end slot without having to pay the premium, but just kind of depends on where, like what your draft slot is. That's all. Sure. So let's say uh, you're ready to take a tight end and you've gone past Andrews and Pitts are off the board. You've gone to the end of the third, early fourth, where we're seeing George Kittle and Darren Waller go uh, this season based on both coming off injury plague seasons. Uh, which one of those players do you prefer going into this year? I'm really digging Waller. Uh, I will go back to that. Well, just if we're, if the discount is coming from the injuries from last season, okay, fine. And if even if the discount is also coming from the emergence of Hunter Renfro, even more so the better. And if the and also if the discount's coming from Devontae Adams being uh now being involved in the offense, I'll still buy into that because again, if we're assuming that Derek Carr, not assuming that he's going to carry all of those guys from a fantasy perspective, but if the we're we can at least project a similar target share for him this year. And also the biggest thing that's critical for tight end storing is going to be the red zone portion. I would also assume him to continue to be involved there as well. So I think from, from that standpoint, I think the discount is already like great enough that I like, I like being able to draft Darren Waller at his current cost. Excellent. Jen, uh, do you feel the same way or would you rather have Kittle? I don't know. That's actually a difficult question for me. I, I'd probably 
do both and kind of mix it up, you know, as far as my, my portfolio goes, but you know, both of them kind of burned me last year. So it's one of those weird recency bias and see things, recency <laughs> bias things. But, uh, I think if you're just looking objectively at it like that, uh, uh I, I may, I may lean Kittle actually just less competition. I mean, you do have Debo and, but I, I just feel like, um, we're not really sure what Vegas is going to look like. I mean, I don't know how Devonte Adams walks in there and Waller still gets what he get what he's gotten in the past. So, yeah, I took Kittle and Fryermuth a lot last year, and I played Fryermuth most of the season. I'm not paying up mm-hmm. the tight end this year. I'm just I'm just burned. I'm a scorn a scorn. Yeah, lover. it like, happens. That's what's happening. <laughs> it happens. That's actually kind of interesting. Um, so we have the new tool. I don't know if it's officially debuted or it's out yet, but Sam Hoppin has been working on the best ball roster construction tool, like here at four for four. Oh, nice. Look, I was playing around with the the Explorer tool the other. Uh, it is live, so go ahead it and check is. that out if you can. Live and free. Uh, so lo- yes. Uh, so looking at tight end ones, now this is also using advancement rate, and I know some folks have some questions about that metric, but advancement rates for tight end ones drafted before round six was 10%. So if you just took your first tight end before round six, you had a 10% advance rate, which is great. I mean, which is pretty good. But if you drafted your first tight end after round six, advancement rate of 11.9%. Now it might factor in like, or might need to consider how many other tight ends that you drafted, but you can see that the effect of not paying up for tight ends, at least for last season, it seemed to work out for a number of folks. So just something to think about and which I'll be playing around quite a bit uh, over the next like few weeks as we start to dive a bit more into best ball content, but definitely go and check that out if you get a chance. Just wanted to say another thing from that tool that uh, our coworker TJ Hernandez uh, found, which was pretty crazy. That four uh, tight ends. yeah, a two five seven four build. So with four tight ends last year, it had the second lowest usage percentage in the field, but it was a twenty one point nine percent advance rate in in best ball mania. To, yeah, people that took four tight ends had a twenty one point nine percent advance rate in best ball mania two which is just kind of mind blowing. It's really hard to even wrap your head around that. Um, Should we be drafting four tight ends? I don't know, but uh, that happened last year. Wow. Well, I think, I think we definitely learned that if you're going to pay up for tight end, it needs to work out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just because of what you're giving up there. Uh, So we have run long. Uh, I'm going to skip a few of the ones that I did. I do want to ask, just one quick quarterback one since we didn't hit quarterbacks. Uh, and I'm just, I'm going to just go with uh, the top. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, you're going to pay up for quarterback, Chris. You want Josh Allen? You want Patrick Mahomes? I want Josh Allen. Josh and Allen? TJ Hernandez is not paying me for this. Like I would, <laughs> I would take Josh Allen. Both of them are going in the third round right now, um, which is uh, nice. That's, I, I don't mind paying up for a quarterback in the third round. Jen, uh, Allen or Mahomes? Allen, uh, every, every Allen and every, every, yeah, every time, uh, nothing against Mahomes. I just, Allen is just good. I mean, I can't, I can't not draft him. He's ridiculous and he's got, uh, yeah. I mean, he's got the legs, the arms, the crazy plays that, yeah. I mean, Mahomes makes crazy plays too. And Mahomes, you know, has his own thing, but at the moment, as far as weapons go and all of that in consideration, I go Allen. It does feel like the offense is crashing around Mahomes, whereas like the offense is being built up around Allen. <laughs> yeah. And according to the roster construction tool, again, go and check that free tool out. Uh, quarterbacks, uh, if you drafted one before round six, 
you had an advancement rate of 15.1%. If you waited until after round six to draft, had an advancement rate of 8.8%. So paying up for quarterback last year was the way to go. Okay. And then one quick quarterback question for you each, Jen. Uh, who's your late round quarterback target in best ball right now? You always know you want to double or sometimes triple up uh, the quarterback position. There's always a darling, a favorite that we like to grab in double digit rounds. Jen, which one are you tacking on to your roster this year? You know, it's tough to narrow down to just one. It really is. I, I you know, I like I like Tannehill. I like Tua. I like Ryan. I think all those guys are are being drafted later and have the weaponry uh, to out outplay their ADP. Excellent. Chris? Matt Ryan for me. I, I know that we want to try and go for mobile quarterbacks, but actually Matt Ryan had four 300-plus yard games last year, and that was without Calvin Ridley, no Julio Jones. Uh, I mean, he was propping up Russell Gage throughout most of the season and Kyle Pitts, of course, too. So if he now has, we were talking, uh, Michael Pittman, I mean, Mo Ali Cox, whatever you think about him, you know, whatever, whatever. But even in a weak division, I mean, the AFC South, where he gets to play against, I mean, the Texans twice, I mean, sure, there's a chance that he could pop up for a quarterback or, you know, a top 12 week. So, yeah, I'll take Matt Ryan. I'm going to watch Marcus Mariota's ADP. If it continues to be where it is, which is pretty low right now, he's going to be on a lot of my rosters just That's because of the rushing upside. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, Chris, Jen, this was fun for me. I hope it was at least a little fun for the two of you, but uh, always a pleasure to speak with both of you. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at the Monday Mommy, at Chris Allen FFWX, and at Two Guys Brandon. Thanks so much for checking us out. Have a good day.